I don't know what kind of family you grew up in, but whether or not you did this in your family, you're here along with the family of God, and it, it would not be Christmas if we did not hear the Christmas story from Luke chapter 2. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was the ho- of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger, And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. To these verses, I'm going to add a couple more passages of Scripture. First of all, from John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now verse 14, And the Word became flesh. And dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 16, for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Now a verse from Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5. 
when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. It may seem odd to you to have communion on Christmas Day. <clears throat> in fact, I, I intentionally uh, kept this mostly to myself, and I didn't tell too many people uh, that I would be serving communion this morning, because to be honest, I was a little bit concerned that I might get a little pushback from a few that might think we shouldn't have communion on Christmas Day. We, communion is when we remember Christ's death, that he died. And Christmas, that's the celebration of his birth. Why in the world would we have communion on Christmas Day? Well, first I would like to tell you that we ought to partake of the Lord's Supper on Christmas Day because we should partake of it often as a central act of worship. In the tradition that we are part of, the church tradition, we came through a period of time in our church history when the Lord's Supper or communion was served probably quarterly. I remember as a young boy growing up, that was, that was kind of the way we did it at the churches where my dad pastored in many churches. Uh, you would kind of follow the fifth Sunday. I don't know whether you realize this or not, but occasionally you have a, Sunday, uh, a month with five Sundays, and that usually works out to about four times a year. So every fifth Sunday, you would have communion, and uh, that would be quarterly. However, even in our church tradition, if you trace it back far enough, many of you know that we uh, come from a Wesleyan tradition, which is uh, part of the family of like the, the Methodist church, the Wesleyan churches, uh, those churches. If you go back to the days of John Wesley, you will find that John Wesley in the, the church uh, of his day, they had communion, they had the Lord's Supper often. They had it every week. If you study the uh, tradition of the apostles and uh, historic Christian practice, if they were to come into our services and find that we had a Sunday worship service where we did not have communion, they would think it was odd. They would think it was unusual. A number of verses that I would read to you, <clears throat> Luke chapter 22 and verse 19. This is Jesus' introduction uh, to the Lord's Supper. And it says here that he took bread and when he had broken it, he gave it to them, he gave thanks, and he said, this is my body which is given for you, do this in remembrance of me, and likewise the cup. 
after they had eaten. In other words, he said, he gave them instruction to say, this is, this is something that you are to do in remembrance of me. So we might ask the question, how often ought we to remember Christ? Well, I would suggest to you it should be often, right? If we go to Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, we read there about the early days of the New Testament church. In Acts chapter 2 verse 42, it says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. This was a, in some cases, a daily gathering. And when it says the breaking of bread, it does not mean simply sharing a meal together. But this was the Eucharist. This was the Lord's Supper, the time when his people gathered together and they remembered their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And they remembered it in the breaking of bread and in the sharing, the participation of the cup. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the Apostle Paul shares with us perhaps the most extensive uh, uh, writing about the Lord's Supper. And it is not explicit but implicit in the text that every time they gathered together as a body of believers... As a group of Christians, they would receive the bread and the cup as a, as a sacrament of God's grace, as a reminder of Jesus Christ and what he had done for them. I'm not going to take the time to read to you the entire passage, but uh, on your own time, I would encourage you, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 17, down through the end of the chapter, through verse 33. No less than five times in those verses, the Apostle Paul suggests to us that the Lord's Supper is a sacrament, a, a, an offering of the grace of God that the church was to participate in on a regular basis. And when they say regular, that doesn't mean, you know, we could say, well, regular once a year. That would be regular, right? John Wesley, in his writings and teachings on the Eucharist, on the Lord's Supper, he would say that that meant a regular observance, meant a continuous and ongoing practice. <clears throat> I spoke to the board a number of years ago about increasing the frequency of communion in our church. Because of these reasons, it is, it is important, it is something that the Scripture admonishes us to do. And so we began uh, serving communion once a month. And that typically happens on the last Sunday uh, of each month in the evening service. As I was thinking about this being the last Sunday of the month of December, being Christmas Day, and, and you know we're not having an evening service, I thought, well, I wonder what it would be like to just serve it on, in the morning service as part of our Christmas worship. 
And oh, friends, it's a wonderful opportunity. I hope that by the end of this service, you can appreciate the wonderful opportunity that we have, not only to gather together and worship, but to receive this sacrament of God's grace and God's blessing. Communion should be often. Second, Christmas is a wonderful time to receive communion because it is a celebration of incarnation. Christmas is a celebration of incarnation. And you see whether or not you realize it, the Eucharist, the the Holy Communion is incarnational. At Christmas, the Son God the Son assumed a body. He took upon Himself flesh and blood that we could see and touch. And in the Eucharist, in the Lord's Supper, the Son offers His body and blood through the elements of bread and the cup that we can see and touch and taste. Christmas, a day that celebrates the invisible God made visible is a perfectly appropriate time for us to receive the visible sign of the Lord's Supper, the bread and the cup. As we read to you a moment ago from Hebrews chapter 10, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God." A third reason why it is fitting for us to receive the Lord's Supper on Christmas Day is this, that Christmas literally means the Lord's Supper on Christ's Day. Now, this might make a few of you uncomfortable, but that's okay. The word Christmas comes from the Latin word, the Christ Mass. And you might think, oh, that's a, that's a Roman Catholic thing. We can't be having that, uh, you know, that, that influence. No, 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 no. The, the Mass, is, it is simply the Eucharist. It is the Lord's Supper. It is the bread and the cup. And friends, wherever we receive it, now, I don't know whether this would bother you or not, but if I, if the only place I could go to to worship was a Roman Catholic church, if they would serve the Lord's Supper to me, I would receive it gladly and thankfully. Thank you. Why? Because it is for those who have truly repented of their sins and placed their trust in Christ as their Savior. It's it's not about where, it's not about the church that you you receive it in. It's about the the true meaning and the substance behind the, the symbols. You see, the bread and the cup are just that. They are symbols. But there is a very real, a very true meaning behind those symbols. 
I remember, I don't know, some of you will remember this as well, you Christians getting all worked up and bent out of shape over uh, seeing Xmas. Anybody ever see that? You know, see, oh, that's, you know, that's terrible, Xmas. They're taking the Christ out of Christmas. I, I used to think the same thing. And, and quite honestly, some of us, just out of ignorance, that's what, that's what we think, Xmas. That's taking the Christ out of Christmas. No, it's not. You see, the X is a historic Christian abbreviation for Christ. It's, it's the Greek initial for Christ. And so whenever you see Xmas, that's not taking the Christ out of Christmas. It's just, a, now there, there may be some who in their ignorance thought that that's what they were doing. But in their ignorance, they did not realize they were giving homage to the very substance of what that meant. Yet how many are concerned about taking the Mass out of Christmas? And I, I realize, you say, oh, pastor, you know, you're making too big a deal out of this. I, I don't think so. How often are we perfectly content to go by week after week, sometimes month after month, without receiving the very meaningful symbols of God's grace through which in this service God has promised that Christ would be present by His Spirit. Now, I'm not talking about, we, don't, we do not believe that somehow at some point the bread and the cup magically uh, become the literal body and blood of Christ as some do. We do not believe that. However, we do believe that Christ is in His Spirit, is literally present with us. And as we receive the symbols of His body and His shed blood, we receive grace, the grace of God, into ourselves. Finally, friends, if you are troubled about remembering Christ's death on the day that we celebrate His birth, we ought to be reminded that Jesus was born in the shadow of the cross. Jesus was born in the shadow of the cross. All the prophets saw him, especially if you read about the, uh, what the prophet Isaiah had to say about Jesus. The prophets saw him as one who would suffer and die. He is called the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. On Sunday, December 22, 1996, a man named Carnell Taylor was working on a paving crew repairing the Interstate 64 bridge over the Elizabeth River in Virginia. The road was icy and a pickup truck slid out of control and hit this construction worker and knocked him off the bridge. He fell about 70 feet down into the waters of the river below. His pelvis had been... Uh, fractured, and some of the bones in his face also were broken. It just so happened that at that very time, a barge was 
floating down the river nearby. And the captain of that barge, a man named Joseph J. Bryson, saw the accident, saw the man fall off the bridge and plunge into the icy waters. He knew that the man would drown before he and his crew could launch their small boat and try to reach and rescue that man. Also, he was aware of the numbingly cold water and the strong currents of the river and the possibility that if he himself jumped in to try to save that man, that it could cost him his own life. And he was a man who had family waiting for him to come home, and Christmas was only three days away. But Captain Bryson, in a moment, decided to risk his own life for a man that he had never met. He dived into the icy waters and swam to Carnell Taylor, grabbed a hold of him, and said, Don't worry, buddy, I'm here, I've got you. Bryson held Taylor's face above the water and encouraged him to keep talking and then found a piece of wood floating nearby and got Taylor up on that wood to help him stay afloat. But eventually the current became too strong for them to swim to safety and and the cold caused Captain Bryson to lose his grip on Taylor and so he wrapped his legs around the injured man's waist and held on with all his might. After nearly 30 minutes, the crew from the barge was finally able to reach the two men and pull them from the water into the small boat. Carnell Taylor was hospitalized for broken bones, and Captain Bryson, the hero of this story, was treated for hypothermia. Bryson later told reporters, when he saw the man fall, he said, I knew what I had to do. I have a family, and yes, I thought about that. But he said, I thought about how life is very important. And he said, I'm a Christian man, and I could not let anything happen to that man. And so he risked his own life to go and save someone that he didn't even know. In the story of this rescue, Captain Bryson shows us the heart of God. You see, the God of love knows better than anyone the tremendous value the tremendous worth of a human soul. You see, there's something in every one of us, though there was a time when we did not exist, there will never, there will never come a time when we cease to exist. There's something inside every one of us that will last from now throughout eternity. We came into this world without God. We acquired the guilt of sin. And God saw, looking down through the ages of time, that none of us could find salvation on our own. None of us could find the way that we ought to go. And so he took upon himself the garb of human flesh. As I said last week, he muted himself except for a cry. He limited his power to what he could do in a human body. He demonstrated to us the love of God. He lived a perfect, sinless life, and then he went to the cross, taking upon himself the judgment for our sins as a demonstration of the Father's overwhelming love for you and I. The children are going to come, Zeb and Leah and Noah, and sing a song at this time. This song simply says, Lord, I want your 
presence for Christmas, your presence. And as they sing, I want you to pray from your heart and think about the reality uh, of God sending his son to be one of us, to live this life. And if you do not know Jesus as your Savior, friends, there's no better time, no better time than now for you to invite him in. In the busy Christmas noise, all the lights, the bells, the toys, I have found you are the only source of comfort and joy. Lord, I want your presence for Christmas. I want your presence for Christmas. I long to
The Lord's Supper is a means of grace in which Christ is present by His Spirit. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, gives us these words. I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The Lord's Supper is to be received in reverent appreciation and gratitude for the work of Christ. All of those who are truly repentant, forsaking their sins, and believing and trusting in Christ for salvation, are invited to participate in the death and resurrection of Christ. Let me say that one more time. If you're wondering who can partake, who can receive the Lord's Supper, those who are truly repentant, in other words, they know that they are a sinner in need of the saving grace of God. They have committed themselves to following Jesus Christ turning from and forsaking their sins, and believing in Christ for salvation. Those are the requirements. You don't have to be a member of this church. You don't have to sign a card. You don't have to stand up and say anything. Simply the act of receiving what you're saying is, I know that I'm a sinner in need of God's grace, and I'm trusting the merits of Christ for my salvation. I'm going to ask Zeb if you would come help me, please.